KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. Four decades ago, a case that came before the Supreme Court ultimately gave federal agencies final say over how they operate and interpret the rules they enforce. This deference became known as the Chevron Doctrine, and since the precedent was set, it's gone mostly unchallenged. But now, with a conservative majority in control, Chevron could be on the chopping block. This precedent will set the terms for government across the board. And that's one way that these cases about a narrow issue of fisheries and who pays for the monitors becomes a question about the fundamental nature of government. Craig Green is the Charles Klein Professor of Law and Government at Temple University's Beasley School of Law. He thinks the implications will be serious if the Chevron Doctrine is either weakened or wiped out altogether. This case, I think, really throws a wrench into all that and really changes the terms on which Americans have relied on federal government to keep us safe, to regulate American life. I'm Matt Leon, and today on KYW News Radio In-Depth, sponsored by your Delaware Valley Honda dealers. Get a deal you'll like on a Honda you'll love. The stakes surrounding the Chevron Doctrine, its origins, and how the way government works could fundamentally change if it goes away. The Chevron Doctrine, kind of explain what that is. Sure. Ever since there have been administrative agencies, there's been a question about whether the agency figures out how to do its job or the courts. And in 1984, in this case, the Chevron case involved a regulation by actually Neil Gorsuch's mother, Ann Gorsuch, And she was a Reagan Republican, a conservative leader of the EPA, Environmental Protection Agency. And she had an idea about what should count as a source of pollution. Should it be each individual smokestack in a factory or should it be the factory as a whole? And the Supreme Court heard a challenge to her regulation by environmentalists. And the Supreme Court said that federal court should defer to an agency's interpretation of the statute that they administer, that they're in charge of. And the Chevron doctrine says, if Congress, step one, if Congress hasn't spoken on the particular issue, uh, like the definition of what's a source, then second step, court should defer, should accept what the agency said, as long as it is a reasonable interpretation of some ambiguous language in the statute. What it boils down to is very, very regularly, Congress sends an agency out in the world with vague instructions about how to keep the water clean, how to keep the air clean, how to keep the workplace safe, how to handle unions. Congress sends an agency out with general instructions, and the agency figures out how to make it work in the moment and how things should change over time. And ever since the 1980s, if not the 1940s, if not earlier than that, courts have deferred to an agency's interpretation of this statutory mandate. They're sent out how to do their job. So now we have, I believe it's two cases before the Supreme Court involving fisheries that also are, oh, by the way, get rid of the Chevron doctrine. Am I framing that correctly? Yeah. So another very ordinary thing for like lots and lots of agencies, Congress will say, go forth and do this thing. And then they write a statute that says, and the agency can make rules and regulations to implement what Congress has told them to do. Our cases are 
about fishery regulations. And one of these provisions says, agency, you figure out how to do it. And the agency is requiring monitors on fishing vessels to make sure people aren't overfishing and ruining the fishing environment for everybody. And the agency said that the fishing vessels, they have to pay for the federal monitors. So it's this very, very narrow case about fisheries and monitors and who has to pay. But the reason it's become such a big deal is because it links into all the other agencies there are, all the other agencies that have to figure out how to do their jobs, the, how the EPA does the environment job, or how the occupational safety does the workplace job, or how any number of other agencies, unions, fair wages, regulating the radio, TV, the FCC, consumer protection, all these agencies are built basically with the same structure. And the structure is Congress sends them out into the world with a vague statute, uh, specifies some things, doesn't specify others, and the agency is responsible using their expertise and their specialization and their ability to change over time they fill in the gaps. And this case, our cases uh, are about basically whether agencies anywhere, any kind of agencies all across the federal government, whether they can or they can't figure out how to do their job, whether courts will or will not defer to their interpretation of the statutes they're responsible for doing. How do we get here from this very these very narrow things to upend every which way things that we have taken for granted with the federal government. Yeah. And it's because all these agencies are built the same way. It's because they all raise the same question. It's because the Chevron case was not just a case about Ann Gorsuch and the EPA. It was a case about how all federal courts should behave with respect to all agencies. And so it's one of those legal things where this precedent will set the terms for government across the board. And that's one way that this case, these cases about a narrow issue of fisheries and who pays for the monitors becomes a question about the fundamental nature of government. But I got to say, it's not me who's making that decision. It's the Supreme Court of the United States. When they granted this case, when they decided to hear this case, they told the parties, we want to hear from you about whether the Chevron doctrine should be overturned. In other words, we want to hear from you whether we should use this case to decide fundamental questions of government across the board, they would never have heard this case if it was just about fishers and monitors and payment. They, they don't hear that many cases. They would never hear, even if it was wrong, they would not hear a case of such minor importance. This is the case they've been waiting for for years. They've been waiting for a case so they could hear the Chevron doctrine, evaluate the Chevron doctrine, and very probably either gut the Chevron doctrine or overturn it altogether. Things I've read from court watchers when they had arguments recently over this, it really seemed people were like, well, that's it. They're going to overturn the Chevron doctrine. It didn't seem to be many people that thought that this was – it seemed almost a decision already made just looking for the pathway to get there. Do you agree with that or do you think it's a little cloudier? Where do you – from what you've heard, what you've read, what you understand, what do you see? Yeah, I think there's no question the Supreme Court granted this case. They decided to hear this case because they want to radically rework or eliminate Chevron deference. They believe it is time for the Supreme Court to radically reconfigure the way government works in this country and has worked for nearly 50 years. Now, what exactly are the justices likely to do based on oral argument? 
Well, in previous cases, Justice Thomas, especially Justice Gorsuch and Justice Alito have made very clear they have no time for Chevron deference. They are opposed to the federal government being involved in a wide range of activities, including water and air and unions and workplace safety and consumer protection. They're opposed to all of that as a broad matter. And there's three votes right there to, I think, almost certainly overturn Chevron. Justice Kavanaugh, I think, uh, has also been pretty vocal. And at oral argument, he was very critical of the government's position and of Chevron deference. That's four votes, four out of nine. And then the question is about always about that fifth vote. And in this particular issue, it's not 100% clear whether Chief Justice Roberts and or Justice Barrett will go all the way to overturn Chevron, or will they look for something, it's not a middle ground, but some kind of a fig leaf where they gut Chevron, but don't literally say it's overruled. There will be four votes to say it's unconstitutional Chevron deference. There'll be four votes to throw out the whole system. But can they find a fifth vote? I think from the oral argument, neither Chief Justice Roberts nor Justice Barrett was explicit on that point. So let's assume it is overturned. Give us some idea of what the world looks like. Would we have constant court cases saying that the EPA can't do this, they can't do this, the FCC can't do this? And are we just going to get into a situation where we're paralyzed because stuff is constantly in the courts? There's a lot of bad things that can happen from either gutting or overturning Chevron deference. And speaking candidly, some of them have already started happening, even in prior cases that have been kind of chipping away and threatening Chevron. So one thing that happens is you get more court interpretation, less agency interpretation of statutes. And in a world where there are very large number of, for example, judicial appointees from President Trump, people who are skeptical of the administrative government, uh, agencies kind of all together. This represents a large shift to the right, a large shift toward private power, unregulated corporate power, less government protection for individuals. That's one political, real-world policy impact in areas like environment, unions, consumer protection, securities and banking law, all these kinds of things. The courts will interpret instead of the agencies, and that's good for large business and private power is probably not good in a lot of contexts for American public. Another thing that happens is the agencies are now unable to react to new crises. So, for example, a new pandemic or a new technology or a new environmental threat. Uh, these are all areas where an agency previously would have gotten deference on saying, oh, we need to meet this new crisis, this new circumstance similar or different to how we did the old. In a world without Chevron deference, agencies are going to be hamstrung and kneecapped from addressing new issues, which means you wait for Congress, which means you wait forever. Congress can barely, one important fact to bear in mind is Congress can barely keep the lights on with the government, much less can they pass statutes to keep Americans safe. Uh, they do not have that political will as 50-50 country. If you're waiting for Congress, you're waiting forever. Agencies have filled those gaps and kept America safer and better regulated during that time. The third thing that happens is uh, under the Chevron doctrine, Chevron deference, 
presidential elections mattered because a new president could bring a new policy agenda. And the, the image I have is they could steer all the agencies to the right or they could steer all the agencies to the left like a wagon. You know, you could steer it one way or the other. The election really mattered. The president really mattered. These court cases are basically taking the wheels off the wagon. They are leaving the uh, government and governmental agencies high and dry. So it's not just a matter of you get a conservative president like Reagan and you get a more conservative set of policies. Actually, the, the agency has much less power to change its policies at all in a left or a right direction. The thing that matters then is not the election so much, but the courts, as the courts go around interpreting these statutes, some of them quite old statutes, you know, the environmental laws are decades old, most of them, and uh, banking laws are super old and union laws. And those old laws get interpreted by courts and they stay that way kind of forever. And so there's a real rigidity. There's a real uh, disassembly or uh, some people call it the deconstruction of uh, government as we know it, as we take for granted on airplane safety, you know, who's handling the Boeing bolt uh, in the window and who can smoke or vape in the bathrooms. You know, these are all built on the same structures. They're all agencies that are trying to do their job broadly construed and they have their own ideas about it. expertise, specialization. This case, uh, I think, really throws a wrench into all that and really changes the terms on which Americans have relied on federal government to keep us safe. Uh, and to regulate American life. We need to take a break on KYW News Radio In-Depth. We will have more with Craig Green in just a moment. But first, there's nothing quite like the Honda Accord Hybrid and the CRV Hybrid when it comes to exhilarating efficiency. With hybrid technology and thrilling capability, these vehicles deliver an electrifying performance on every drive. This new year, discover for yourself what truly makes these hybrids special. Redefine your driving experience with Honda, KBB.com's best value brand of 2020. Contact your local Honda dealer today about the Honda Accord Hybrid and the CRV Hybrid. Now let's return to our conversation on KYW News Radio in depth with Craig Green, professor of law at Temple University's Beasley School of Law. Am I oversimplifying? It seems like this is a power grab for the judiciary because I know that. When I think about is my meat safe, I don't think FDA. I think what does Sam Alito think? Like it's kind of absurd to think about it. But is that what we're dealing with here broadly? Just put the judiciary at the front of the car? Yeah, I think it definitely is a shift to judicial power compared to agency power. But I also really do think because of the justices we're talking about and because of the courts we're talking about, it's really a shift away from government as everybody who's alive has known it, government all the way back to the New Deal, government all the way back through the 20th century. You know, we're talking about 100 years of different, the, the same basic structure where Congress gets together, passes a statute, creates an agency and sends the agency out to make the policies fill in the details. And this court with their own ideas about the Constitution, their own ideas about separation of powers, they, the Trump era conservative supermajority, Neil Gorsuch leading the charge, Clarence Thomas leading the charge, Sam Alito leading the charge. These are justices who they believe it's their job to transform American government. They believe it's their job to transform constitutional structures of how government happens in this country. They believe that's what they're there to do. And I think this is one of several areas, one of the more dramatic areas where they have done a lot of things to weaken and dilute and destroy Chevron deference. And I think there is a sense this this case 
really will be nearly the end or literally the end for Chevron deference. And therefore, for a range of things that a lot of people don't think about, they don't have to think about. They don't have to think about because their elected president running these agencies is able to make policies uh, that keep America safe. And whether it's meat uh, and vegetables and drugs or airplanes or highway, uh, all of these areas, every every of these areas has an agency behind it. The agency relies on its own interpretations and gets judicial deference uh, under Chevron. And all of that is under threat or will be gone very, very soon. And it means that a lot of agencies are going to be scared to do anything new because they would have to face these lawsuits. And so you may really have a bunch of agencies hiding under the desks in the face of new threats that Congress had had equipped them to go and deal with. But the Supreme Court got in the way, reshuffled the deck I think really dealt a losing hand to the American public in a lot of areas. What is the the thought process from the conservative supermajority? Is there not an appreciation for the chaos this would seem to unleash? Do they not care? Do they think it's people overstating it and you don't understand we're smarter than you, it'll be fine? Like, what's at play here? There's kind of two arguments. One of them they say out loud, and one of them I think is uh, sort of underneath. The argument out loud is they think the federal government's gotten too big. Now, the American public doesn't think it's gotten too big. That's why you can't pass stat- you can't repeal these statutes, the Clean Air Act, Clean Water Act. Americans like those statutes. Thank you very much. Uh, and they may elect different regimes to implement those statutes. But this whole idea of repeal and replace, which had been a popular term of phrase for a while, you know, there's not the there's not the politics for it. American people do not want to fundamentally scale back the, Ameri- the, the federal government, but these justices do. And so they view themselves as a real corrective to politics, uh, meaning to say they think they know better than uh, the rest of us. Federal government should be a lot smaller, should do a lot fewer things, should serve a lot fewer public goods, leaves things to the states, which these justices like, and leaves it to private business with these justices like. And they do it by shifting the burden. They're like, you like it so much, you pass a new statute to say something else. So that's the second thing is it is true in fairness to the conservatives. It is true that a lot of these statutes are old and could not be passed today. You couldn't, you probably couldn't pass the Clean Water Act. Like I say, in the modern Congress, you're lucky to pay the basic bills and the interest on the debt. You know, you're lucky to keep the lights on in the government. Uh, There's so much paralysis in Congress. And so I think they have an idea. They they grew up hating these justices, grew up hating the federal government, hating thinking that the environmental laws went too far and union laws went too far and food and drug went too far. And so this has been their chance. The culmination of their career has been really demanding. If you want to do that, you bought a new statute. And you see this in area after area, climate change, greenhouse gases, these justices say not so fast. I don't want the government, federal government, regulating those things. And I think that, that that ideology of having less government, something they believe, something they have brought to pass, something that has become very real in ways that never anybody expected before. But these new justices, conservative supermajority, are making things happen in the area of judicial precedent and constitutional law that nobody thought could happen even just 10, 15 years ago. It's interesting to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, when it came to say, oh, I don't know, handguns in New York and New York State tried to regulate that. Then the Supreme Court says, no, 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 you can't do that because of the Second Amendment, because of federal law. Like, it seems to me when it, you know, we want to throw it to the states until the states do something we don't like, then we take the power back. Am I 
not being fair? So there's a rights question, and the real pairing there, I think, is guns and abortion. The conservative supermajority wants nationwide gun rights and no nationwide rights to reproductive justice, reproductive health. That, that's a, a real tension, and there's a, a lot of uh, possible contradiction, maybe even hypocrisy on some of those points. This case, these cases are about the rest of life. Almost everything that happens in life is not regulated by a constitutional right. It's not affected by a constitutional right. Whether you can breathe the air, whether you can drink the water, whether you can walk the streets, whether you can count on your banking system, all these kinds of things are not an area of constitutional rights. They're the area of government. And uh, it's definitely true that hacking away at the federal government has been a project for conservative politicians, at least since the 1980s. And the real difference is nowadays, those, those items are not just being pushed by Republican politicians, for example, that could, then you could vote for or not. You know what? It's on the ballot. You either like it or you don't vote like it. American public gets the way they want it. Because these justices have taken control, they are setting the terms for what's acceptable federal government, what's not. And I think that that's really different. It's different from anything we've seen since 1936 back in the pre-New Deal times, you know, uh, it's really, really old stuff. And they're, they're, just, they're just not afraid to come in and rattle things up and toss things over and, uh, for want of a better term, break stuff. Because the stuff they're breaking, they think it should be broken. The federal government shouldn't be doing the things that the American public, that Congress of old, put agencies in charge of doing. And uh, like I say, with all the kind of public effects that everybody knows about, but not everybody talks about. Everybody knows that the federal government is doing a lot of the things that I might list off that they're doing, but they don't understand necessarily, not everyone understands that those are being done by agencies, agencies operating under broad federal statutes, agencies that use their expertise and their specialization and their flexibility to meet the needs of the American public as they develop and arise, and in light of electoral politics and presidents and the rest of it. And this stuff is going to really take the wheels off the wagon hamstring and kneecap the government. And I think there are unexpectable risks to the public. You know, it's not 100% clear what exactly an agency won't do or won't be able to do when the next pandemic hits, if a banking crisis arises, if uh, planes start having trouble. It's not clear what an agency will or won't be able to do, what they will or won't think they're able to do in this very new, radical, shuffled up constitutional landscape dramatically brought to pass by by the existence of three justices appointed by one former president during a four-year period. That's the drama that we're talking about. That's what that's why these cases have such attention is because these justices on this court, the same ones that have brought you other things in other parts of life, these justices are in charge of now deciding how much government, what kind of government, and I think that that's that's a distressing possibility. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio in depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.